1: Welcome to another edition of Children of Song. Children of Song is the podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded by music. Some of our guests are the sons and daughters of music stars. Some of them began making music when they were so young that they can hardly remember a time when music wasn't in their lives. But all of them are children of song. I'm your host, Robert K. Orman,
0: and I'm joined here in Nashville by my producer, Brad Newman. Welcome back, Brad. Hey, Robert. Thanks again. It's always fun to be here. You know what makes our uh, our next guest so unique is he's a true entertainer. You know, you've shared so much of this town with me, Robert. I brought my kids here in February. <laughs> And we got to go to the Grand Ole Opry, and he was one of the hosts there. And I got to tell you, they were tickled the whole time he was on there. He's got, he's got a presence. He's, he's sort of part actor, part entertainer. So uh, it should be a very fun morning. He's also the artist that I kind of wish I was. If I could
1: sing, I'd want to sing like Larry Gatlin. And if I could write songs, I'd want to write them like Larry
2: Gatlin. Welcome, Larry. Well thank you. Why don't you I tell you what? Why don't you just sign off right there? That's pretty good in. I'm I'm greatly honored and humbled by that. And not not often do I say I'm humbled. In fact, I'm proud of my humility. You know? <laughs> How does that work? But I I'm grateful. Thank you very kindly. I've been very blessed. The Bible says, "He who tooteth not his own horn the same shall not be tooted." It doesn't say that. I'm it doesn't. Up. <laughs> in
1: the name of Jesus, amen. You sure. have been making music since you were a tot, since you were little, little, little. And it was gospel at first, was it not?
2: Well, the first, very first time, I was three years old, and there was a little beer joint, beer joint and steak joint down in Texas, and my father, it was called Lowakey. It's a little German community. And this old Mr. Zentner had a bunch of cattle. Well, he started, you know, slaughtering the bees and selling these big old steaks out there, And businessmen would fly in from Dallas and Houston. Well, I'll meet you at Low Wakey. He put in a little landing strip. So in this little beer joint, I was three and a half years old, and Daddy set me up. I was going to go out to work with him on the drilling rig that day. And he set me up on that deal and put then, I think, maybe a penny, no more than a nickel in the jukebox, and I sang along, hey, good looking. All right. What (laughs) you got Cook. Then I got saved. A little bit of Hank Williams there. Yeah, got saved and got out of the beards you want to start singing in church. Yes, (laughs) gospel music. Uh, Our grandfather, my maternal, uh, I mean, uh, my maternal grandfather, Clib Doan, D-O-A-N. We are direct line descendants of Deacon Doan off the the Mayflower. Wow. Uh, First, one of the first families in America. And we are direct line descendants of John Doan, the great uh, Irish-English poet, uh, No Man is an Island Under yes, Himself, yes. Ask Not mm-hmm. For Whom the Bell Tolls, It Tolls For Thee. And on on my father's side, it's the Gatling Gun. So, poetry, machine guns, a perfect <laughs> metaphor for my life. Uh, but in the interim, you know, uh, my uh, that grandfather who died at 83, he could hit a high B-flat the day he died. Uh, great singer taught us out of the old stamps music gospel songbooks and mm-hmm. the church hymnal. So gospel and I tell people, Robert, I tell people, we we are gospel singers who got a really good break in country music with Dottie West, and I don't mean to, to well, you, belittle uh, that, but that's what you started had plenty that
1: plenty of professional experience before Dottie came along. You guys were in talent contests. You beat Roy Orbison in a talent show. Uh, I mean, you were in the Imperials. Uh, you just had done a lot, but
2: well, we had it's sung in, in churches t- all over the country and gospel concerts. And uh, Roy and his bunch, the Wink Wildcats or the Teen Kings, he had a couple of different groups. Mm-hmm. They came in second, and I think they came in second because he was already seventeen, and we were just isolated. You were 10. you were cuter. You, you know. They felt sorry for the kids, but <laughs> uh, he always has been. Uh, uh, from a lot of a lot of people in West Texas, thought he was kind of you know he wasn't the most. Hands, he came along like when Elvis did, mm-hmm. and Roy had those big glasses, and a lot of people thought he sang like a girl, and he was sang funny. I didn't think he sang like a grease sang like Roy Orbison. Golly, the first time I ever heard it, it said, "Woo!" Down That'd the road, you actually sing.
1: you actually had Roy Orbison cuts as a writer down
2: the road, didn't you? I did. Um, he cut a, a song of mine called "Circle." Try to keep from thinking, thinking is remembering.
1: What was your repertoire like at, from from that Stamps-Baxter book? Was it
2: songs, well
1: songs that we would know?
2: Well, sure. Things like, I'll fly away, oh glory. You know, uh, Robert E. Uh, Al, excuse me, Albert e. Albert Brumley, Brumley, Brumley. Robert E. Brumley. I, I went to school with a guy named Robert Brumley at the University of Houston. Albert E. Brumley, you know, and he wrote, uh, I will meet you in the morning uh, by turn, the bright riverside. You know, songs Turn your radio like on. Turn your radio on, one of the great gospel sing- uh, songwriters of all time. Mm-hmm. And we actually did, <coughs> excuse me, we did the Alberty e. Brumley Festival uh, on a couple of occasions down in Tulsa. That and is. you guys got on the South radio city.
1: too from that, didn't you? Weren't you on the radio in Texas?
2: We were. We were on TV in Abilene first. Uh, do you remember the name Slim Willett? Don't let the stars get in your eyes. Don't let the moon break your heart. His After a word from our sponsors, we'll be right back, folks. We're going to have to slap him around a little bit for singing on radio. Uh, Slim Willard, his real name was Winston Moore. Really? And he had uh, a little local TV show in Abilene, Texas. And we were on his show every other Wednesday night and on radio. That was in Abilene. And then, you know, different radio and TV shows. Our mama, God rest her soul, uh, she was just a... Pretty tough little general. She, she went up to uh, James Blackwood one night at a concert in Abilene. She said, I got three boys can out sing all of y'all. And that was the Blackwood Brothers and Statesman Quartet. Yeah, we're uh, talking
0: gospel music hall of fame The hall caliber. of famers. So, so she drove it. So, I mean, she's the one that gave you the repertoire, too. Because, I mean, your youngest brother, when you won that contest, is two years old, from right. my reading. And, right. I mean, he, you can't really urge a two-year-old. He doesn't have a mind of his own at that point. And some say that right now he's still a little questionable. <laughs> Uh, Bonnie, find that
2: If you're picture. listening, Rudy, we don't mean it. <laughs> oh, Rudy, I'm just kidding. The, the picture of us when we were two, four, and six winning that little contest, we've got it here somewhere. It's all we've ever known uh, is singing. I've never been uh, afraid of the audience. I've never been nervous. Uh, young artists say, well, don't you get nervous when you go out there? I said, no, I get excited. This is true. There's two you, of them. I've never known you, know? you to fear an audience. No. How on earth did you
1: wind up in the Imperials? I mean, that was like a... That was like going into a Cadillac group, I mean.
2: Well, I was in law school at the University of Houston, always knowing that all I had ever really wanted to be was a gospel singer. A friend of mine, Ruby Campbell in, uh, I went to the University of Houston on a football scholarship. And uh, somebody asked the coach, Coach Yeoman one time said, that Gatlin kid from Odessa, he has deceptive speed. Coach Yeoman said, yeah, he's heck of a lot slower than he looks. (laughs) So I didn't play a lot. But it got my schooling. I knew uh, uh, Ruby Campbell, and I was over to her house one day. She said, Larry, the Imperials need a baritone singer. Roger Wiles has left the group. You ought to call him. So I called him, and it was Terry Blackwood, Mm -hmm. Armand Morales, Joe Muskeo. I know Joe. You know, some of the guys who— Who just left us not long ago. (laughs) Right, he did. I I miss Joe. uh, A picture of us uh, over there. I with see Elvis, Joe Muscado, Terry Blackwood, Jim Murray, and Armand Morales. and the Elvis and that other guy with the mutton chops, uh, Young. We're in Larry's office. Here year old Larry here. For people yeah. at home,
0: this is this picture's all over this office. It's it's.
2: Yeah, y'all come on over. <laughs> but I'd known all of them, you know, since from childhood. So I I was working at Steak and Ale. You should have seen me, my little long socks and my little short Lord Fauntleroy britches and the flying nun shirt it was a real vision (laughs) so I called them that day and they said well we don't really need anybody they were in Vegas with Elvis said we don't need anybody right now Uh, uh, we're just doing ooh ah you ain't nothing but a hound dog but we might call so of course I went to work that night and I was all excited and I told the guys hey man I might get to go to Elvis you know well about halfway through our shift that night of serving steaks one of them came back said hey Gatlin Elvis is on the phone well it wasn't elvis it was our friend the late jo- uh, joe muscale mm-hmm. and he invited me you know to come and try out for them in vegas and an interesting story i didn't have enough money to buy an airplane ticket to vegas my waiter friends at steak and ale took up a collection and gave me enough money uh, janice was a school teacher i couldn't
1: oh man that's her. so cool so that's it's a neat story so,
2: nice. so uh, and this what, is how Dottie finds you, too, in the Imperials, right? That's right. I, I never did really sing with Elvis except around in the dressing room uh, after the shows. He loved to sing gospel. The Imperials really needed me to work with the Jimmy Dean show. Oh, because funny. they did a lot more with Jimmy. Well, well let's
0: it. go back a little bit because we went fast forward there. So they they raised the money for you. Tell me about this audition. I mean, you go out there. Well, first. I went let's out get there. To Dottie. Yeah.
2: And they they taught me the Jimmy Dean show because like I say they didn't need anybody for the Elvis show. They were going to take 4 days out of that month long stay with Elvis at the Hilton and they were going to go to to Phoenix and do Jimmy show. And they they did a lot they were more integrated. They didn't just do UAs. So I tried out for the Imperials. We did, the after Elvis closed, we opened the next night at the Landmark across the street. Elvis was on the tarmac in his plane, and he said, turn it around. I want to go see the Amps. So they turned around, and that's where I have my one and only picture with Elvis. And I thought I had the job. We talked about it. We talked about going to Houston and getting the suits made alike where they all had their suits. They were going to pay me $175 a week. And then... The guy they really wanted for the job, a guy named Greg Gordon, flunked his draft physical and didn't have to go to Vietnam. And they didn't really tell me I didn't have the job. One night, Mr. Dean got a little bit overserved playing blackjack, and he wanted to get some more money from the house. I said, Mr. Dean, you've lost more money tonight than my daddy made last year, and you're not going to get any more money. He said, Well, who are you to tell me? He said, I sold four hundred thousand pounds worth of sausage this week. I said, Well, you're gonna to have to whip my little West Texas ass to do it. Uh he said, Well, help. And he, like I say, he'd been a little overserved. So I took him to his room, helped him off with his boots. He said, I guess you know you're not gonna get that job with the Imperials. I said, I've already got the job. He said, You don't have the job. They got a guy coming in tomorrow. I said, mm. I said, Why? He said, They know you're gonna be a star and they'd have to get somebody else in another two years anyway. So He put a little bit of salve on the wound because it was the single biggest disappointment of my life. All I had ever wanted to be was a gospel singer. So that is another in a long line of me failing my way all the way to the top and then back down to the middle.
1: (laughs) Dottie West is going into the Country Music Hall of Fame this year, which I'm sure you know and is so well-deserved. What a great lady she was. And she got you to Nashville.
2: She did. I miss her every day. I I do. I loved her. She was a great songwriter, a great champion of songwriters. While I was around there uh, that month, you know, all she'd talk about, she'd talk about Mickey Newberry, Chris Christopherson, Willie. And Glenn, she had just done Glenn Campbell's Good Time Hour in LA, and he had given her two brand new Ovation guitars. And one night, the guy was fixing her hair. And all she had talked was, she said, you look so much like Mickey Newberry, it's unbelievable. You kind of do, actually. Well, back then, (laughs) even, I'll show you pictures. We looked like twin brothers. I said, Ms. Dottie, may I borrow that guitar just for a second? And she heard me in the other room playing. And she came and She said, you're making that up, aren't you? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, well, and by then we knew I wasn't going to get the job. So she said, why don't you send me some songs, and I'll try to help you. So after it was all over, flew back to Nashville excuse me, back to Houston, and I wrote eight songs for her, sent them to her. She sent me a plane ticket, and uh, four years later, won a Grammy for Song of the Year for Broken Lady. So I've always said that God's plan for me is more often than not a whole lot better than Larry Gatlin's plan, <laughs> So, uh, and I would have been happy. Let me say this. His plan is different I'm not going to say it's better. I would have been perfectly happy singing baritone with the Imperials for the rest of my life. But Robert, you're going to love this. I went on the road with Dottie after, after Janice and I moved here. Her house was Songwriter Central. Yep. The first night we drove, we, we drove a rent truck pulling our little Mercury Capri all the way from Houston. Dottie was cooking breakfast that night at 7.30 in the evening. She was a night person. She said, let's go to Mickey's boat. Janice said, I'm going to bed. (laughs) So Dottie and I went to Hank Cochran's boat, got on the legend, Hank's boat, with Hank, Jeannie, Seeley, Red Lane, Jack Green, went over to Mickey Newberry's houseboat, sat there from 6 o'clock in the morning about 11, when Mickey finally got up, and he walked down uh, there on the dock from his houseboat, had a guitar slung over his shoulder, smoking a cigarette and drinking a cup of coffee. He gets in Hank's boat, the legend, he said, damn, kid, you do look like me. 'Cause Dottie had already told him about it. He said, "Y'all," he said, uh, he said, "I want to play you something." Tune my guitar a little bit. He said, "Let me show y'all something I put together last night." And he went, "Oh, I wish I was in the land of cotton. Old times there are not forgotten." Look away. Dixieland. The first time anybody had ever heard the... The American Trilogy, yeah,
1: which Elvis later recorded. Which
2: Elvis recorded. Well, But Dottie's house, like I say, was Songwriter Central. A little bit, maybe a year or so after that, I went on the road with Dottie to sing some harmony and try to play bass, which I'd never played bass in my life till that night. I thought you could just kind of go... Dun, 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 and kind of find it. Well, it wasn't that Everybody good. thinks that. Right. So we got back off that little two-week tour walked in the house, Willie was asleep on the couch, Chris was asleep in a chair, and Roger Miller was asleep on the floor in her living room. (laughs) That's Dottie. Lord only knows what they'd been doing or where they had been, but we're not gonna ask you. She was the mom, she truly was. Absolutely. She loved
1: songwriters. So I've gotta tell you this story. Uh, I'm managing a record shop in St. Louis, and the Columbia Records people took us all out on this big hayride, and then we stood up at this barn and they were going to introduce their brand new signees. And it was you and Tanya Tucker and David Allen Coe. Were... And you sang the songs from that album right over there, The Pilgrim, and oh, blew man. me away. And that's the first Larry Gatlin record I ever got. And I cherish it. I still have it. And on that <sighs> record is Help Me, which was... In before you had your own hits on your own as a singer... You right. provided for other people in this town and help me is your still to this day your most covered song. I,
2: I am stunned. Do <laughs> you remember this do you don't remember this gig? I remember the barn in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Don Don Miller was the local CB. Yep. They put me on one of these 17 city tours. And I remember going out to that that old barn. I don't have my capo in the right place, but I can sing in any key. And you know how this song came about. You know, the Nashville Songwriters Association. Their motto is, "It all, all starts with a song." All begins with a song. That ain't true. It all begins with a capo. <laughs> I thought you were going to
1: say it all begins with a songwriter.
2: <laughs> well, that that's probably true. But uh, one night I was in Dottie's bus. We we were somewhere somewhere off on the road and everybody had told me I was going to be a big star, you know, and talking about that, I'd written songs on the bus and people love my songs. I'm very grateful. Well, most of them did. And uh, I was sitting in the floor of Dottie's bus and everybody had told me I was going to be a big star and I had been in Nashville for six months and it hadn't happened yet. So I was kind of confused about that. So I wrote, Lord, help me walk. Another mile, just one more mile I'm tired of walking all alone Lord, help me smile Another smile, just one more smile I know I just can't make my own. That's one of my favorite songs you ever wrote, Larry. I'm glad you let me record it. He had the big, Elvis had the biggest hit on that, if anybody. He really did. Uh, and it, it, you know, Chris recorded it and was everybody, John Cash. Connie
1: Smith, Johnny Cash, Ray
2: Price. Yeah. Uh,
1: Roy Clark, you know, everybody. It's just a great, great standard. I love that song well, so much. thank
2: you. Chris heard it one morning at church and uh, kind of had a spiritual epiphany and I'm not you know Yeah that Connie oh, Smith Connie he, Smith took him to church. Yeah I took that him thing. to church that morning he was not in good shape. And uh Reverend Snow asked me to sing the song and did a very brief what they call an altar call in the old Assembly of God. And Chris <laughs> talked about it like he's been very public, but he said, Well He asked me if anybody wanted to find Jesus to raise their hand. Well, I was going to be the last one in there to raise my hand. He said, I'll be damned if I wasn't the first. (laughs) Then the preacher said, well, anybody wants to find Jesus come down the aisle. And I, he said, I was going to be the last one. He said, I'll be damned if I wasn't the first one. And that's how he wrote. Why me? He wrote, why me? Lord. Is it Jimmy Snow asked him? He said, well, do you want to get saved? Chris said, well, hell, I don't know. What does that mean? (laughs) You know, (laughs) Just as only Chris could. And, uh, So on the way home uh, from church that morning, he wrote, uh, Why Me, Lord? He and Connie came over to my house later that night because she had told Jimmy Snow about it, and we sang it uh, on the Grand Ole Opry that Friday night. Really? Uh, I I don't know this
1: part of the story.
2: Oh, yeah. uh, uh, Connie, uh, I've got it up there. I'll find it on the wall. Bonnie, find the ones we're standing in front of the WSM. Is that you singing on the record? Yeah, In the background, the Why Me, Lord? Yeah, that's me singing oh, Why Me... Oh, help me, me Jesus, oh, that part, yeah. See the, uh, You see Johnny Cash's picture? Yeah. Folks, imagine a pencil drawing of Johnny Cash. And just to the left of that is Chris and me, and Connie's there over on the other, with the WSM microphones. That is on the J- Jimmy Snow Gospel Gosp- Gospel Hour. Grand Ole Gospel, that's it. After the Grand Ole Opry, that's the first time that Why Me, Lord was ever sung in public lord
0: help me
2: jesus i've wasted it so help me jesus
0: i know what i am
2: but you know if and and i'm serious you know i tell people you don't have to be full of crap to be in show business but it really helps so (laughs) i'm full of a lot of west texas bovine droppings but If my song never did anything else but play a very small part, thank you, God, in inspiring Chris in his spiritual journey and the fact that he wrote one of the greatest gospel, for lack of a better, songs in the history of the world, Why Me, Lord, Uh, I can die a happy man.
1: So in those early years, Jim Ed Brown and Dottie West and Hank Snow and Johnny Cash and all these people are recording your songs before you really have a hit on your own. My favorites are the two that you wrote for Johnny Rodriguez including uh, If Practice Makes Perfect which I think is a great song. Have you ever recorded that yourself? We did. (laughs) How do
2: That's too high. How do I Practice Makes perfect
1: I always love that. Oh, I it's do so too. simple I love... and it's
2: so beautiful. Well, <laughs> if practice makes perfect, I'm leaving you perfect. The little, it's also wordplay. A... The little double entendre. Also,
1: <laughs> a, also a waltz, my favorite tempo.
2: Little little six eight living mm-hmm. in three quarter Christopherson time. That's what I call it.
1: So finally, here comes Broken Lady. You finally get the breakthrough, the big hit, the big, you know, the breakthrough. It's I was six, in Chicago, 76, 1976.
2: I was in Chicago doing another one of those, conf- those. You know, put the record out and bring all the disc jockeys in mm-hmm. and get them drunk and hope they'll play your record. That kind of deal. <laughs> <That's coughs> and in the uh, in the cab on the way, we needed a hit. We had had two, three little songs, you know, for Monument, and Fred was very patient. And I said, and, and the guys were still in college. I mean, they'd fly in and, and sing with it's me. It's your brothers, bit. Rudy and Steve. Rudy and Steve. <laughs> and I, the thing is, again, Dottie took me to Mr. Atkins' And played a little tape that we'd made in her living room, and he said, "Boy, that is wonderful." I said that harmony, and it still had our little sister on it too. He said, "Larry, I'll I said I don't know anything about doing groups. I'll, I'll record you as a solo artist." And I made the hardest decision, one of them of my life. I said, "Mr. Atkins, I'm honored and I'm grateful, but I said I'm going to have to uh, say no. My brothers, my sister, and I have wanted to sing together since we were little kids." And I think I would be betraying our calling and, and betraying them if I did that. He said, I understand. A couple weeks later, Chris heard that tape, took it into Fred Foster, and Fred said, son, we're going to make music history. <laughs> well, Fred allowed us to do my songs. Mickey had told me. He said, you don't have enough songs right now to do it, all your own songs. He said, sing your own songs. He said, I know your heart. If you have a hit... On somebody else's song, it's going to break your heart every night for three minutes for the rest of your life when you have to sing it. So I failed my way out of the audition with Mr. Atkins right into the arms of Fred Foster, and he let me record the songs that I would written. We did two or three little old singles, among which was uh, uh, Sweet Becky Walker. Bitter They Are was my favorite. Bitter They Are, Harder They Fault. Wasn't a big hit. But a great song. And then, well, it's... One of my favorites, too. Elvis did that one. And then in that cab on the way to the Chicago airport, I thought, Larry, what do y'all do? What do you do that will that will stand out and it's not like everybody else and it doesn't just have a guitar in Maybe you should just sing big old... She's a broken lady. That was my part. She's a broken that was like, Rudy's part. She's a broken lead. So I gave, I gave you all three harmony parts. In fact, I think I doubled one of those harmony parts right then. But when that harmony, when that comes out, just clean. She's a bro. And like I say, that before was like, there's any
1: instruments on the record, it's just like voices. It's
2: just voices right at the front. And I've had people just tell me that their childhood was filled with Gatlin Brothers' harmony. And like I say, our sister LaDonna sang on that first album. She sang the top part, and Rudy actually sang the baritone part, and Steve kind of sang a bass part. Then when she decided that wasn't what she and her husband, Tim, wanted to do with their lives, they wanted to sing gospel music, we sat together over on a little house over across from Colmont School over there in Antioch. We had a decision to make. Are we going to quit, or are we going to figure out how to do this? So Rudy took the top part, Steve took the bottom part, and we could switch them right now. If we went on, if they were here right now, and you said, okay, Rudy, you sing the lead part, and Larry, you sing the high part. I oh, I've heard,
1: I've heard them sing with you. You'd close you. your you, eyes, when, and you wouldn't be able to tell the when, difference. When you've had vocal problems, in mm-hmm. fact, they have done that. Sure. Mm-hmm. We could
2: just switch them, and that's just blood harmony. When so, I was a
1: kid, I would sing with Rudy, because my voice was high, and then
2: as I got older, I sang with Steve. <laughs> I'll be darned! The the change of life, Robert. (laughs) Wasn't that a wonderful moment in your life when uh, that happened to you? That that puberty deal, you know. uh, Yeah, because it ushered in all kinds of wonderful experiences.
1: So, at first, Steve and Rudy are making a living with singing with Tammy Wynette, right? Before you have the the show of your of you. Um, uh, And how did you get them back,
2: Tammy? When she and George, you know, kind of broke up the band and all that stuff, they needed uh, some uh, backup singers. So I took, I had LaDonna and Stephen Rudy fly in. I called Tammy, and the kids sat down in her kitchen and said, well, sing something for me. And I just sat there and let the three of them, and I don't even know what they sang. They got through about three or four measures of amazing grace or of something, and Tammy said, well, you're hired. So they were on the road with her. That good. It was that, oh, it's just, you know, it's it's family harmony. These it's, three boys
1: can sing like birds, well, I'm telling
2: the, you. Yeah. I, I, I tell people, look, I, I I kid around a lot, I know, but I'm grateful to God for the instruments that he gave us. I've had four vircal cord, I've had three beers and four vocal cord surgeries. <laughs> and... uh Well, it's a little early in the morning. Parts of our hearts torn away. Four vocal cord surgeries and I can still hit the notes. I am grateful to God. (laughs) I'm grateful for the brothers. People, you know, because I write the songs and because I'm kind of the spokesman for the group, I get uh, uh, more credit than I deserve. When people come up to me at the end of the show, they say, Boy, Larry, you sure did sing good tonight. I said, I better sing good because those other two cowboys are going to sing good. <laughs> they do it every night. The most consistent, in tune. We did uh, live albums, you know, back before we had uh, Pro Tools. We've never had to go in and change one note. We sing in tune. You do. Uh, and I, I'm grateful for Steve and Rudy, the best partners. A man could ever have.
1: Now, but you have had
2: like, isn't?
1: I just wish you were someone I love and uh, nighttime magic. Our build is just you, right?
2: Well, before, see, we're the first generation of either side of our family to get to go to college. Uh, I graduated from University of Houston; they were at Texas Tech. So when when Fred first gave us the deal, they were juniors and sophomores in college, Mm -hmm. and I knew that eventually we wanted. to to bring them there you know here to Nashville with me but they were going to graduate that was what mom and daddy wanted that's what they wanted and they'd committed to doing that so we did start it was just Larry Gatlin first but uh they were on uh, that's them singing we had the Road sisters is that right
1: yeah Donna and uh Memphis yep And they had a brother, too.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. They sang on two or three of the first uh, a couple of things on the Pilgrim album. And it was Larry Gallon at first. Our plan and Dottie thought, come here and get established and then bring them. And that's what we did. So, again, hearkening back to uh, the Chet Atkins story. Uh, we retired. Uh, everybody retires until they run out of money. Then, uh, I'll tell you this right now. I'm an old coke addict, recovering by the grace of God, and an alcoholic, uh, and I don't do that anymore. The most addictive thing on this planet is the spotlight. It is the hardest thing to walk out of and and to take out of your life. Uh, I heard a deal last night. Uh, Cher went on her, uh, you know, I'll never, never sing again. Well, 10 years later, uh, Elton John is on his farewell tour right it's 300 shows it's the next three years the never-ending Elton John farewell tour so the Gatlin brothers we we did the same thing 15 or 20 years ago and we we kind of ran out of money but we also ran out of the spotlight and we realized that deep a lot of people have a job if you're lucky enough to have a, what you believe is a calling on your life, and I'm not trying to be a late, great Billy Graham, but that's what we've always felt like we had, uh, I, I'm going to be trying to claw my way up out of the the dirt and the box uh, to sing one more, uh, you know, encore of all the gold uh, when they put you know, and the that, dirt.
1: That song is <clears throat> what reminded me, when you started with Broken Lady, all the gold is the same way in that it starts with the chorus, right? Which is an unusual way to write songs. It, most people, it's like you introduce the topic, That's you right. do the verse, you do the verse, and then you do the chorus, and then you do the bridge, and you know. But you do it different. That at least in those songs,
2: you're you're very perceptive, and I've always, you're a great musicologist, and you get that. The chorus is what everybody comes in and sings. You know, you'll do the solo maybe uh, in church uh, of the first verse, and then everybody comes in on the chorus, the choir. When the deal, the story about Broken Lady while ago, when that happened in the back of that Chicago cab, and and I realized that, let me see if I... And Broken Lady was such a big song and won the Grammy. If you remember, uh, then we had... uh, Night... Time, magic, and love is just a game. Those are the choruses. Statues without heart. Good Lord, those are the same melodies. Love is just a game. Those <laughs> are mine I stole from myself. Well, yeah, I didn't realize please. it until just now. <laughs> <clears throat> and then all the gold. Well, Mickey Newberry wrote the same melody for 30 years. He's one of the greatest songwriters mm-hmm. ever. So,
1: so did Chuck Berry.
2: We, we, yeah, <laughs> we realized that the part that the people are going to sing, put that up first. I did not mean to mislead you. So it worked for us. Uh, it became kind of uh, our, you know, something that people... Trademark. Uh, 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 really, it was. The, the Gatlin Brothers' Harmony at first. So uh, I love to write story songs and long entangled verses and bring stuff like that. But, uh, you know, starting with the chorus and then doing a little verse, repeating the chorus, modulate up a step, sing it again uh, with just the drums and a cappella, it has bought us this wonderful house.
1: You're listening to Children of Song. I'm Robert K. Orman, and I'm joined by producer Brad Newman. And today we're spending time with the always entertaining Larry Gatlin. After all the gold in California, you decided to make a statement about homelessness, and it failed. Yeah. When I think about your career, I think about just one big success after another, one number one hit after another, but that is not actually what happened. That is it goes, not what happened. It goes like a wave. It goes. There's a big song, a couple big songs, and then you kind of dip, and then you go back, and you, you're like the rubber ball it bounces back again and again. Not a consistent, everything's number one. And The Midnight Choir was a great song about a fantastic topic, and it was the follow-up to a number one record. And what happened?
2: I, I actually believe <clears throat> that it started... I know it did. The downward slide of our career. Uh, and I'll address that in a second. You're so perceptive, and I'm not blowing smoke at you. Um, the deal with Fred... Fred allowed us the leeway to fail. You know, he loved songs, and it, it wasn't always about the most commercial. We we did want to make some statements. We threw Penny Annie in there as, mm-hmm. as a single. Well, a five-minute and six-second record, the only guy I can get away with, that's Marty Robbins' song called El Paso. So it was a little bit up and down. People ask me, they say, are your, are your songs... All personal experiences. I say, of course they are. They're just not all my personal experiences. that That's what songwriters are, are supposed to do. Uh, Mr. Faulkner said his job as a writer was to take the truth and set it on fire. Well, as an English major, you know, who read parts of Sound and the Fury and, and read Grapes of Wrath, which we'll come back to in a minute when we talk about all the gold, i I saw... In in Toronto, Canada one night, we had an off night, walked into the park, uh, my drummer Phil Fajardo and I walked into the park, and there was an old wino, and he was lying on his back on a park bench, and he was choking and having trouble,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, he was sick. And Philip and I did what I believe anybody in this room would have done. We went over there, and rolled him over on his stomach to keep him from choking, you know, in his own body fluids, patted him on the back. And we walked him over to what we had seen a few minutes earlier at the front of the park. Some of his old buddies were over there playing penny-ante poker. So we walked him over to his buddies. And the next morning I... Maybe started that night. The doors to the mission open at 7 And the soup will be ready by 9 Right now it's 6.30 And they're ragged right and dirty But they're standing and sitting And laying in line First they'll do a little singing Then hear a little preaching Then get saved for the third time this week <laughs> A bowl of soup later And a pat on the shoulder And by midnight, they're back on the street. And it talks about them scoring a bottle of wine and the the thing that just Christians were a little too clean and sanctimonious to get their brain wrapped around. Will they have Mogan David in heaven? Dear Lord, we'd all like to know. Will they have Mogan David in heaven. Sweet Jesus, if they don't, who the hell wants to go? They thought that was the Gatlin boys singing that. They didn't realize it was a bunch of old drunks who were in the middle of delirium tremens. They were the midnight choir. They were the midnight choir. They were praying the best they knew how. That was the best they could do. Well, from misunderstanding it, who the hell, when to get, sweet Jesus, they thought we were cursing. We weren't using the Lord's name in vain. That was the Midnight Choir praying, sweet Jesus, help us, you know, help us. We're, we're, we're This is the best we can do. I thought it was going to be the biggest record of our career. It was
0: brilliant. It was a great record. Well, so much truth in it, too. I mean, that's a thing. You're not talking down to them. It's the idea of that there's a lot of truth to it. That's what really is effective. Well, I'm,
2: I'm not trying to compare myself with William Falk, well, maybe a little bit, but isn't, (laughs) just a little bit, isn't that taking the truth and setting it on fire? You know about that? Uh, And here's what happened. You know, uh, Hegel, the German philosopher Hegel said, where they burn books, they will soon burn people in Germany. And they did that. Well, we haven't really started burning people, bad guys, I guess, in the electric chair down in Huntsville in Texas, Old Sparky, that's what they call him. Uh, But there was a record burning in that great cultural center, Little Rock, Arkansas. They got together on the grounds of the radio station and burned Gatlin Brothers records. What? Just because of that? Because I had the cojones to write a song about some old alcoholics who weren't quite as fortunate as I was to spend the $20,000 to go to a treatment center in California. I never heard that story And it before. absolutely, what then I got in the argument with the newspaper, with the radio stations and all that, and being the feisty little 27 or 28-year-old who's never really run from a fight, I stood up for my song and our rendition of it. We did it. We went and got some old cheap wine and got pretty well lit. <laughs> when we Well, they have a, and it talked off some Christians and some radio stations because they didn't really hear it. They might have heard it, but they didn't really listen to it or maybe the other way around. It was just about some old drunks trying to talk to God. It effectively, that reaction from radio and newspaper and me standing up on my hind legs and defending our work, it started the downslide. So it was like from all
1: the Golden California, number one all over, planet, crossed over to the pop charts, huge record, bang,
0: Midnight Choir. It, it, to a record burning. Yeah. Well, and you also stood your ground because there were places where you were booked and they said, listen, you can come and play, but you can't sing that song. And you said, well, then we're not coming.
2: Right. And I understand their deal. We were asked to sing at a Church of Christ college in Abilene, Texas, our old hometown. And they wanted a show list. And as far as I can tell, the only other song... Uh, I did not mean to... I thought I had fallen forever in love the minute your red gingham dress hit the floor, which I think is a pretty good line. I can understand how the president... I just wish
1: you were someone I love. Yeah, Yeah,
2: out of... I I can understand the president... Now, at 70, I understand it. At 30, I didn't understand... You know, Mark Twain said it's amazing how stupid my father was when I was 13 and how smart he'd become by the time I was 30. <laughs> so I understand their position at that point in time. But even now, if we have kids in the audience, a lot of times I'll change it around or, or kind of mumble it. The first time you walk through the door. But that and the Midnight Choir are the only things that I would not sing in front of my mama or the Lord Jesus if he were sitting here, which he is right up there. on, on And you, Jesus... <laughs> Has the highest point? Uh, really, it will.
0: And he's lit up too. And by he's the way, he's, lit, home. he's got a nice. Right by
2: 1983,
1: though, you're back again. The, the rubber ball bounces back, which is sure. Houston, a huge record. Well, and a and a different thing for you. It was sort of a swing number. It was a very very different Larry Gatlin song.
2: It really was. We had done we had done the uh, Nebraska State Fair, and uh, at the Nebraska State Fair, they it's called Exarbon which is really Nebraska spelled backwards. A friend of mine said, I know you're a big football fan. He said, you know what that big N stands for on their helmets? I said, no. He said, knowledge. <laughs> so I, we, were, we were going to the Cheyenne Rodeo the next day, and I rented a car because the guys had gone on in the bus. I flew in, and I was going to write, Cheyenne means I'm one day closer to you. So I taught that to the band the next day at the Cheyenne Rodeo. And Steve Gatlin says, that is horrible. That really stinks. said, <laughs> we're going to Houston tomorrow to do the Houston Rodeo. If you'll put it in a little Texas shuffle, you might have something. So I it went from Cheyenne means I'm one day closer to you. It went to Houston, Houston means that I'm one day closer to you. We sang it at the rodeo that night for 48,972 people, the largest crowd ever to see a rodeo anywhere on the face of the earth. It remained the world record for five years. The folks at the Astrodome figured out a way to reconfigure the seats, and that scoundrel George Strait broke our record. <laughs> <laughs> and that's
1: the truth. In 1992, you decide to hang it up. Why? Um, um, like you said, applause is the greatest drug or the spotlight, you know, and yet you did walk away.
2: I saw an old gentleman when I was first here in Nashville. Folks, I tuned my guitar a little differently for different songs. I saw an old gentleman Dottie West had a benefit to buy some band uniforms at her one of her kids' schools. I saw an old legendary performer in this business. When he came on, everybody was real excited. And about 15 minutes into his show, people started melting away in the back of the theater. And by the time this old gentleman got through, there were only about 50 people there, and it had started with 500. So I wrote a song. I said, I'm standing here trying to matter, and I don't think I'm making the grade. Cause whoever's in charge of the dues I've been paying, Forgot to mark down that I'd paid. And it's all over now, but the shouting, cause they're no longer shouting for me. So I'm standing here crying and trying to matter. Just an old fool, no one's dying to see. And I saw that and I wrote that song. And when it came time for us after the Midnight Choir and all of the kerfuffle that it started with me in radio stations, with newspapers, and the crowd started getting a little smaller and we weren't headlining in Vegas anymore, I said, fellas, and I told them, I said, we may be leaving too early, but here's the way I feel about it. I don't want people to have to do a benefit to pay the last bus payment you know, and I had seen that in this town. And I had seen people standing there trying to matter when it was all over. I said, fellas, it'll be better for us to leave 10 years too early than leave five minutes too late. So we decided to go do some other things. We had a little theater over in Myrtle Beach that didn't work out very well. I went to New York and did Broadway. They did some solos. I did some solos. And one night, a promoter, and this was you know, after we had not really been on the road for about 10 years. He said, do you think you can get your brothers together for $50,000 to do one show? I said, I think I can talk them into that. <laughs> well, I did talk them into it. And some other people started to say, well, we hear you're kind of back. We couldn't stay away from this, you know. And we were having little family squabbles as as everybody does. My brothers are my best friends. Uh, we don't live next door to each other. We have separate lives and things that we do. But we still love each other. We love to sing music. And again, when you be, feel like uh, you've had uh, the the calling of a higher power who gave you that talent, we couldn't stay away from this deal. We love to sing music. And the people say, you sound like you did 40 years ago. Well, for some groups... That ain't that good a thing. <laughs> uh, I won't name any, but for us, it is. I think it is a good thing. Do
1: you enjoy doing the Will Rogers Follies? I love it. I love it. it was the same, great. being in the same place every night and singing the same, being on the same spot on the stage every night, and kind of very repetitive, isn't it?
2: Well, how many times do you think we've sung "All the Gold in California"? Yeah, I guess well, we so. Feel yeah. like <laughs> I tell people. They say you get tired. I'm tired a lot of times at seven thirty, at seven fifty eight. I ain't tired anymore. Doctor Footlights. Because they're about Doctor Footlights and Doctor Spot. Doctor Footlights. Where'd you get that?
1: June Carter. Where is that a song? I don't know. She called. No, she just called it that. She said, "When well, no matter how ba- bad I felt Ooh. when I was out with Mother Maybelle and my sisters, Doctor Footlights cured me every time."
2: I use Blackwing six zero two pencils. Thank <laughs> you. I'll tell you about those in a minute. Okay. Doctor Footlight and Doctor Spotlight. Always heal what's aching in me. (laughs) Well, I'm going to write that. In fact, you should. Break down and get out of here right now. You're very prolific as a writer, are you not? I write almost every day. I'll pick up the guitar if it talks to me. I'll write if it doesn't talk to me and I don't feel the spirit. I've never had writer's block in my life. Writer's block means go play golf. Go do something else. I'm not going to work and labor at this. Now... When I write one or I'm starting it and I get into it and it's going and it's moving, I will craft it. John Rich said, you write songs differently than other people. I said, Chris writes perfect iambic pentameter. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Willie's the best first-line songwriter I ever heard. Well, hello there. Or when the evening sun goes down. (laughs) You've got to listen to that. Newberry (laughs) is a storyteller. Uh, 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 Chris, John... John said, John Rich said, you write, I said, I try to write every syllable. I want it to be perfect. None of us can do that. But as an English major who loves uh, William Butler Yeats and who, you know, Chris, when we get together, you know what Chris and I talk about? William Blake. Yeah, We do Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright. He was a Blake scholar. He loves Blake. And, and I love Blake. So, uh, but, so that, the idea is Jillian's. I have Did thousands Did you write when you couldn't sing? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, now I wasn't supposed to because even when you're not singing, if you're playing guitar or hearing music, your vocal cords do what they call sub singing; they move anyway. Were you scared when you? No, sing? no, I wasn't. I, I really wasn't. Since the first time Doctor Ossoff told me about it, and, and I'm I'm not trying to say at all I, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I am the chiefest of sinners. I have thorns in my flesh. But those thorns in my flesh make me human and make me depend on my higher power and my maker for healing. So I, I wasn't, uh, being a musician, being a singer, I sing correctly, Robert. What I don't do, I don't talk correctly. Like right now, I've got a little <clears throat> phlegm down there in, in my throat it's two different muscles isn't it talking it's two and singing. different things talking and singing mm-hmm. so I wasn't worried about it I knew that I would be taken care of so Dr. When Footlights so- Dr. Spotlight Dr. Jesus always take what they're
1: <laughs> so when you do write let's take all the Golden California how did that song come when you know
2: alright I think in song titles I think mm-hmm. in rhymes internal rhymes I love it because of poor. I was sitting this is I'm not You know, Texans will put a little hair on a story if they have to I'm not putting any hair on this story I was in a Hertz rental car, stuck in a traffic jam, right in front, that red light. You've been there, right in front of the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, yeah. You've been at that red light. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Going from Sunset around to Burbank. Right. I was going to go have So a, a few meeting. ways to
1: get through there, and that's one of the bottlenecks.
2: That's, that's one of the bottlenecks. Mm-hmm. So I was going to have a, a, a meeting with Mr. Mo Austin mm-hmm. at Warner Brothers. So <clears throat> I was stuck in this traffic jam, and right in front of me, was a 1958 Mercury station wagon with Oklahoma license plates. And they had pots and pans and boxes and stuff. And, and I could see that scene in Grapes of Wrath when they're loading that old Ford pickup truck and they're going to move out of the Dust Bowl to California. I could see Grapes of Wrath, the Jode family. I could see it in my mind right there as I was sitting. And I said to myself, these poor Okies," because I talk out loud to myself, my internal dialogue is not internal. It is external. There ain't much filter between my brain and my mouth, unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes. So I blurted out these poor Oakies coming out here to get rich and famous and be stars. God help them. Then I said, they're going to find out real quickly, all too quickly, that all the golden is in a bank in the middle of Beverly Hills in somebody else's name. I took that Hertz rental car <laughs> slip. Hertz rental car slip, got a pen out of my saddlebag's and wrote, all the gold in California is in the bank in the middle of Beverly Hills. Somebody else's name. The traffic, the light changed. The traffic broke up. I had my meeting with uh, Mr. Austin, and I sat out in the Warner Brothers parking lot and wrote, all the gold in California. The whole song, word for word, never changed. Uh, like I say, we went back, and six months later, it's the number one song in America, Ain't God Good. Uh, and I tell the story. Thank God for Ann Louise Jones. Miss Jones, my senior English teacher, where we, we read Grapes of Wrath. I do songwriter master classes one time and I, I asked this kid, I said, well, what do you like? I said, do you want to be a songwriter? He said, yeah. I said, you are a songwriter. You're just not a song craftsman because there's only one of those in this room and that's me. Uh-oh. Now, if you want to be one, I said, what do you like to read? Anyway, he said, I don't like to read. I said, you want to be a songwriter? You don't like to read? That's like being a fireman saying you don't want to hop on the truck and drive fast. So we went back to Nashville and we did all the gold we started it with the chorus Robert everybody sing chime in Bonnie come on all the gold in California you got Rudy's part is in a bank in the middle of Beverly Hills in somebody else's name if you're dreaming about California it don't Footlights (laughs) can kill a man outright, cause everything that glitters it's not gold. Yeah, and Larry uh,
1: Gatlin, folks, (laughs) so much (laughs) right here in your own living room.
2: (laughs) Thank y'all. I got enough for a couple more shows. Y'all want to hear it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll do another visit. Thank you so much, buddy. It's thanks for
2: coming in. I hope you enjoyed my man cave and uh. Thank y'all for kind of letting me spew on you. God bless.
0: (laughs) As we were packing up to go, Larry told us about the time he went on tour with the great Dottie West very early in his career after just moving to Nashville.
2: I had been in Nashville about six or eight weeks and Dottie asked me to go on the road with her. So we went on the road. We got in her touring bus. And usually you do that about 10 o'clock at night, load everything up and, you know, get the beer and the sandwiches and all that and you take off. So... We uh, rode all night and, you know, trying to sleep at 70 miles an hour. Pulled in to St. Joe, Michigan, and tried to find the the venue. There wasn't a street anywhere in St. Joe, Michigan. Uh, and so she calls Lucky Moeller. Her, her agent tries to do yeah. that. And he said, Dottie, you're supposed to be in St. Joe, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> well... We missed that one. I guess so. That's not even close. uh, (laughs) So, in the intervening years, we we I don't think we ever the brothers and I and now with GPS. But you know that's just kind of a metaphor. Not really a metaphor. It's true. The road is a crazy place. If you've never been out there, it's wonderful. We love doing it. It's very tiring. But like I say, I may be tired at seven thirty, but at seven fifty eight, you do what your daddy said. Daddy told me one time I was going to go out and work with him on the drilling rig. He said, well, let me tell you how it's going to be. And I knew right then. He said, here's how it is. If it's broke, fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it's broke and you can't fix it, Paint the son of a bitch.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the podcast everyone's talking about. If you like what you hear, become a subscriber on iTunes and spread the word. Coming up in the next few weeks, we've got rock and roll and country music hall of famer Brenda Lee, the country music duo Thompson Square, and the daughter of honky-tonk legend Johnny Lee, the sassy and super talented Cherish Lees in the house, only on Children of Song.